When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Here's why you should tune in to today's show. The EU is planning to curb Bitcoin's energy use. We'll explain what its proposed blockchain label system is all about. Plus, we'll do a deep dive into the world of oracles. We'll discuss how financial data across asset classes can be brought on chain directly from the source. Mike Cahill from Pit Data Association will join us live. Stay tuned for that. Hello, everyone. I'm Elaine Lee, your friendly crypto host and producer. Marco Oliveira is here with me. Marco, looking dapper all in black today. Thank you. Thank you. I love in the red on you, too. I'm uh, doing great. How about how about yourself? Well, you're damn right. You know, when the red lippy comes out, we mean serious business. So look, for the ones who are watching, don't forget to subscribe to Real Vision Crypto. It's absolutely free. So if you're watching on YouTube right now, like, subscribe and hit the notification bell so you don't miss it when we go live. All right. With that being said, let's jump straight into what you care about most, the price action. OK, so Bitcoin is down slightly on a 24 hour basis. It's currently trading above 19,000. The bearish sentiment continues, though, with no respite in sight. Our friends at Coindesk is flagging a new report by crypto platform Luno. It says Bitcoin futures listed on CME, that's the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, slipped into prolonged backwardation during September. Backwardation is an unusual condition in futures markets when contracts for maturity or delivery many months in the future are trading at lower prices than near-term contracts. Luno says that this hasn't happened since May 2019. An analyst Coindesk spoke to says that there is unlikely to be a catalyst to change this bearish pattern this year, though. Marco, what are you looking on? Uh, what are you looking at over on your side? Well, you know, typically we cover Ethereum, but there's not much to get excited about on the Ethereum front. It continues to trade around $1,300. Uh, so instead, I'm looking at Aptos. Yesterday, we reported the launch of this new Layer 1 blockchain, and we might actually talk about it a little bit today with Mike. Uh, I know that he, uh, their Pith is providing uh, price feeds to Aptos as as part of their um part of one of the one of their partners that they're uh, partnered with but it's safe to say that things haven't gone planned as planned for aptos the aptos token is one of the worst performers today it plunged some 30 percent before recovering it's still down around seven percent or so on coin market cap so clearly lots of work ahead for the aptos team to convince investors that everything is in place elaine yeah thanks marco i live for volatility but this apto thing that i haven't really actually been all across except for listening to you guys this week that's a that's a big one for you to stomach okay now so before we get into our top story though the headline is actually about real vision itself now listen up until the end of october you can sign up to real vision pro crypto at a lower price instead of paying the usual 3499 for two weeks only it's 2599 that's a big difference for institutional grade crypto research okay but it gets better for 3499 you can now get pro crypto for two years to see the pricing for yourself scan the qr code at the bottom that you are seeing right now or head over to realvision.com forward slash 
crash pricing. So no FOMO there because you've heard about it. Um, so check it out before October ends. Now back to the rest of the world. Bitcoiners, beware, the European Union is looking out curbing um, Bitcoin's energy use. Now, the European Commission, which is the executive arm of the EU, wants to label blockchains based on their environmental impact. The proposals were included in the EU's new action plan on digitalizing the energy system. Marco, this is interesting. What more do we know about this? Well, Elaine, we know that crypto and blockchains are prominent features of the plan. EU officials are exploring ways to reduce energy consumption in the face of high prices and Russian supply cuts. The commission says the energy consumption of cryptocurrencies has increased by 900% in the past five years and has more or less doubled compared to two years ago. Now, accounting for about 0.4% of worldwide electricity consumption. But the commission also feels especially uneasy about proof-of-work consensus models, given their relatively high energy use. The report calls proof-of-work outdated. Now, the main blockchain that uses proof-of-work is, of course, Bitcoin, and the report does acknowledge that mining efficiency has improved greatly, but it also notes that mining difficulty has improved or increased along with that efficiency. We briefly talked about that in the show yesterday. Another thing to know is there's also mention of lower energy consumption with the proof-of-stake model, which, of course, Ethereum recently moved over to, and they see a role for that in, in blockchains in the energy markets for that, Elaine. Marco, and dare I ask, could there be an outright ban for proof of work or even on Bitcoin in the future within the EU? You know, Elaine, I don't really think so, uh, because even though Bitcoin has been cr criticized harshly, MICA, the comprehensive EU crypto regulation that's highly likely to become law, did not include a ban on proof of work. And if you remember, there were initial proposals for bans of proof of work, so it didn't go through. Uh, the working plan uh, also mentioned China's ban on mining and how ineffective it was uh, because miners just simply relocated. With that in mind, the commission has other things up their sleeves, though. They say they will explore policy options to mitigate the impact of crypto mining, calling it a, quote, first attempt worldwide to decrease the attractiveness of Bitcoin investments and curb the price of Bitcoin. Uh, this is because they believe price is what drives mining. The plan is meant to be ready by 2025, Elaine. And to me, this sounds like they're trying to make Bitcoin mining financially unattractive for the purpose of achieving their energy goals. Yeah. And, you know, Marco, because I know we were covering the story, I quickly rushed onto LinkedIn just to have a look at what all the leaders in the Bitcoin mining space is actually saying about the mining industry. And I know that they are reporting huge losses, but are saying that investors and telling investors that it's a building phase, not a buying one. So regulation, regulation, regulation. And it's one of the big themes that we cover here, right here at Real Vision in the crypto space. So we will keep an eye on this and how it develops. But it's encouraging to me that various governmental bodies are having these conversations. So it looks like crypto is not going anywhere anytime soon. But in the meantime, let's have a look. What are the stories that we have for you? Now, we are learning about some uh, risky actions that contributed to the bankruptcy of crypto lender Voyager Digital. Coindesk is reporting on new court filings that says that the company wants to settle with two top executives over how they handled the loans to crypto hedge funds three Arrows Capital, another company whose bankruptcy, of course, sent shockwaves through the crypto world. Marco, this is a very complicated one. Break it down to me slowly if you can. What is the settlement all about? 
Yeah, sure thing, Elaine. Well, it's a really interesting story because we get to learn more about how these companies went down. So according to filings in March, Voyager Digital CEO Stefan Ehrlich and then Chief Financial Officer Evan P. Uh, agreed to allow Voyager to lend Three Arrows nearly $1 billion in crypto with very little financial disclosure from the fund, which turned out to be, as we know, not a great move. Uh, so when Luna and the sister token Terra USD started to collapse in May, Voyager wanted to know how bad the impact would be on Three Arrows. Initially, they were told that Three Arrows had limited exposure to Luna, and that, of course, turned out to be false, as we know. Shortly thereafter, 3AC collapsed, and this tipped Voyager Digital into liquidation. Uh, some Initially, Voyager brought forth negligence claim against those two execs, but soon realized that they wouldn't recover much, so decided to settle instead, Elaine. All right. Now, speaking of other companies that being tipped over the edge, there's a, a Berlin-based bank called Nori has announced that it's shutting down. It has advised customers to withdraw their funds by December the 18th. Marco, this is a very sad end to a story full of promise. Yeah, definitely a sad story, Elaine. And it's not the first. Probably it's not going to be the last in this space, right? I mean, there's you know, places going down all the time. Uh, Decrypt reports Nuri launched as Bidwalla in 2015. It offered traditional bank accounts with access to Bitcoin and Ethereum, and they wanted to harness the power of blockchain and decentralized fi finance. They really gave it a good shot. The bank even rebranded re as Nuri last year to shake things up. It didn't help. The company says one of its main business partners was Celsius Network. And of course, we all know what happened there. Nuri says Celsius bankruptcy, quote, worsened the situation significantly and put us over the edge. The company tried to raise a new money but they failed and they couldn't find a buyer. So it's going to fold in December, Elaine. Uh, Nuri says, in the meantime, uh, customer funds are secured and safe, but more than 200 people are going to lose their jobs. Yeah, another example of the disruption brought by the downfall of Terra, 3AC and Celsius. All right, let's have a look. Um, so that's it with the news headlines for today. Moving on to our main interview now. So let's bring in our guest, Mike Cahill. He is the director of Pith Data Association. Mike, welcome to the show. Elaine, thanks so much. Thrilled to be here. Awesome. Now I'm going to give it to Marco. Take it away. I will be back later with the key takeaways. Hey, Mike, I'm loving the lighting, right? <laughs> it's good lighting. <laughs> I think we got it to work finally in the end, Marco. Finally, yeah. Uh, so, well, first of all, thanks for coming on to the show. It's a pleasure. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about Pith Network, Data Oracles, DeFi, TradeFi. Maybe we're going to touch on Solana as well. Uh, but I really want to start with Data Oracles first because a lot of viewers that are on the other side of the screen right now are probably like, what the heck are Data Oracles? And before we get into the specifics of Data Oracles on Pith Network, because I know there's some distinctions between other Data Oracles, I'd love it if you could just give us a crypto 101 lesson on what data oracles are, why they're important to smart contracts and their role in the broader crypto ecosystem. Absolutely. It's a great question. So um, the world of, of uh, Web3 consists of smart contracts. And one thing that distinguishes them is that there is no company behind the smart contract. And so it's just a basically a set of code and it will execute so long as the parameters are met. Um, and the parameters could be I want to take out a giant loan or, or my loan needs to be liquidated. Um, and since there's no kind of third party that's going to make any judgment calls on that, the data that comes in to determine what actions are taken is paramount. And so they refer to this as the Oracle problem. And I can give you a very simple example um, that can kind of um, uh, make this a little bit more clear. So Marco, let's say that we're going to write a smart contract that is going to um, bet on the outcome of a football game, the Patriots first, say the Jets, um, and we lock up a certain amount of ETH in a smart contract 
Um, now, we know that one of those, one of us is going to walk out with the Ethereum. Um, and what we don't know, and what the blockchain doesn't know, is who actually won the game. So if I am betting that the Pats lose and the Jets win, uh, no matter what happens, I'm going to be incentivized to say that's the result and vice versa for you. Um, so, you know, that kind of underscores the fact that you need to have some trustworthy resource to be able to provide that information on a consistent basis. And so they refer to this as the Oracle problem. Um, and this is what Oracle networks do is they provide a trustworthy way to get data onto smart contracts or onto the blockchain to be used in the resolution of smart contracts. That makes sense. That makes sense. So, like, if we were to bet in like the like the real world, like at a casino, for example, on the on the uh, Patriots versus the Jets, the casino would be the middleman, and the casino at the end of the night would verify who won the game and also who won, you know, by you know, consequently, our bet. Uh, but in DeFi, there are no middlemen, right? So smart contracts do this, and therefore, data oracles. The smart contract needs the information to be able to say, okay, who won the game? And so the data oracles they go and they collect, fetch this data, and they bring it to the smart contract, and they say, okay, so the the Patriots won, which means Mike won the bet, and, and Mike Mike won the bet, and we're gonna send the payoff to Mike. Is that kind of a a good way of summing it up in a nutshell? That's exactly right, Marco. Perfect, perfect. So then that brings me to my next question about data oracles on Pith Network, because I know that there's a distinction uh, between you guys and other data oracles. Obviously, a popular one that everyone knows is Chainlink. Now, people may not know that it's a data oracle, right? They just like number go up. They like the price <laughs> and everything. It's a top 25 cryptocurrency. But I know there's like some distinction, especially between uh, this idea of third-party models versus first-party models. Can you explain the differences between uh, uh, Pith Network and other data oracles? Yeah, um, absolutely. So in the in the kind of the early days of bootstrapping, getting data onto blockchains, the prevalent, the, the kind of the prevailing thought process was, well, let's go get the data from the internet because the internet tends to have a lot of data. Like if we were to not use a casino, but the two of us bet on this this sports game, we would just go to ESPN. Be like, okay, look, it's it's quite clear that the you know the Pats won, and therefore, um, like you know, I won the bet. Um, and so that's sort of what I think the, the model within the Chainlink um, system is. So they have nodes which go out and fetch this data from basically the internet, Web2, um, and they, they go to websites like CoinGecko and CoinMarketCap or Yahoo Finance, um, and they'll sometimes have you know, dozens of these nodes going out and grabbing the data, um, but it'll come from just a handful of sources. And so then they'll, they'll replay that on chain. Um, and there are certain limitations with that, and some of them are around the fact that you can't update as you can't update any faster than those websites update, um, or you can't include additional information that those websites don't have. There's also a data licensing issue that's like a big deal, especially if you start getting into the land of traditional assets. So in the world of U.S. equities, there is a tremendous amount of of revenue that's paid just to be able to get access to real-time data to say Apple or Tesla. Um, and I'm talking about the realms of like three to $5 billion a year. And so when you were, if you were to try and take that data directly from the internet, from Yahoo Finance, you'd find yourself in the, you know, in the middle of a big lawsuit. So the PITH model is very different. Um, the PITH model is, is set up in such a way where the data providers will provide data directly on chain without the use of this middleman or this node that goes and fetches it. 
Um, and it's been very successful in, in attracting lots of high quality data providers today. Each data provider has been disclosed. Looks like I lost you on my end, but I, I, the last thing I heard was each data uh, provider is disclosed there. Yeah, each data provider is disclosed uh, and comes through a um, basically a network of, of blue chip, uh, high quality institutional trading firms and exchanges. So there are over 75 data providers today, um, pretty much every large trading firm from jump, jump trading to Susquehanna, Jane Street, DRW, Hudson River, um, are all participating and sending their data directly on chain. Um, lots of exchanges, crypto exchanges, um, as well as US equity ones. Um, most recently, SIBO, which is actually the largest, the third largest US equity exchange um, joined the network. And so um, all of the data from their exchanges under BATS will be available on, uh, on PIF as well. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Very interesting. So, I mean, the way I'm hearing it is that you're getting this information from these exchanges directly, whereas a you know chain link is not getting it directly. They're kind of getting it from, like you said, Web2, the internet. And it kind of really seems like that's like a single point of failure, right? Like if Chainlink is relying on CoinGecko and CoinGecko's website goes down, it doesn't matter that the other 50, the exchanges that are providing the data to CoinGecko are still up. They just, the smart contract won't be able to access it. But instead, what with, with Pith, you guys are connecting directly to the exchanges or to trading partners, and you're able to collect that data. Is that, is that I guess, the right understanding there? That's right, yeah, there's lots of resiliency. So each one of these data providers is streaming data directly on chain. Um, so if one of them were to go down, then you've got 74 others. Um, so you've got very strong resilience. Um, and then the other element to it is that um, you're a we're able to construct novel ways to distribute that information. So um, we've got the, of course, the price, um, but what Pith innovated was a confidence band, which gives you gives users and applications the ability to, in real time, come up with a sense of how confident that price is. Because at any given point, the price of every asset will change slightly on different exchanges. Um, and during periods of high volatility, it could change quite a bit. So you mentioned before, you know, kind of the Luna and USTD pegging. During this period, you had tremendous amount of volatility, UST completely pegged, um, and then the price of Luna went down to incredibly small values. But if you looked into kind of the market structure of it, it was very different on so many different exchanges. In some cases, like say Wobi and um, I think OKEX, they had halted withdrawals or deposits. And so they traded at vastly different um, values than say Binance. Pith was able to incorporate all this data and show you where most of the trades were going through, but had that confidence interval wide enough to be able to incorporate where trades were happening on other exchanges. As comparison, Chainlink actually stopped pricing Luna during this period, um, and you could no longer get any of that data on chain. 
Very interesting. So it's kind of like there was giving you like Pith Network was giving a price, but then there's this confidence of like, well, it's within this range and this is the disagreements that we're seeing on chain. And then it's providing that to the smart contract and the smart contract is then, I guess, using that confidence band to maybe make uh, fair trades, I guess is what you're saying? Exactly. Yeah. So they can make, they can limit how much they're going to allow to go through at a certain time. So let's say that we were making a very small bet on like the Pats and Jets, um, maybe that would be under the threshold where it was acceptable given that the confidence was so uncertain at that time. Um, but they maybe want to limit a huge trade going through. And this would be appropriate for last week, we saw Mango Markets um, was exploited because the underlying data was significantly moved and the exploiter was able to take out a big loan, basically drain the treasury um, and had they been using something that had you know confidence intervals included in it they would have been able to limit how much had gone through at that time very interesting okay that's really interesting uh, i also want to since we're speaking about data and that you guys are partnered with them i'd like to know what the benefit is for like these trading firms or these exchanges to be connected you know with you with pith uh, i I've, I've read i think i was kind of i did skimmed over your white paper i didn't read it thoroughly but i did see something there about uh, uh data staking i'm not sure if that's related could you break down what the benefit is for for the partners absolutely yeah so the the things that secure pith today um, are really the reputations of the data providers but in the future we want to make that system be completely uh, permissionless and the way that we've architected it is very similar to a proof of stake model so anybody can show up and they'll have to post a stake um, and then they'll provide data and they'll be rewarded for accurate data and then penalized or slashed for inaccurate data uh, and so this creates an incentive system that over the long term makes the pit network's pricing much more robust. Um, and so, you know, this fundamentally gives the Oracle price some weight to it, um, as opposed to like, say, you know, Yahoo Finance or CoinGecko, when they go down, they don't actually have any idea that there are smart contracts that are depending upon their pricing, right? It's, they're, they're just kind of websites. Um, whereas Pith is going to be a staked Oracle network. So um, there is something at risk of and at value for the outputs to be trustworthy. Okay, very interesting. Something else that I want to talk about data is the kind of data that you guys bring on chain. So right now it's you guys are primarily focused on financial market data. Uh, but you know, over the course of these interviews, I've interviewed people like for um, some technical analysts, for example, they like to use social data as part of they, as part of their trading strategy. And so I can I could see a world where people might say, you know, the price data, they want to look at the price, but they also want to incorporate a condition where maybe the social metrics are, you know, this many number of Reddit mentions or Twitter mentions. Uh, is there any plans to bring other types of data onto Pith Network or to provide other types of data for the, your solution? Yeah, we, we certainly plan to scale, but we actually think that there's a, a, a lot to be gained by expanding into the financial market data um, sector alone. So we've got about 100 symbols today. In a year, we expect to have about 1,000. We currently cover crypto, US equities, um, FX, and metals. Um, and we want to continue to get very deep within those segments and have really high quality data. Um, the use cases for Pith data are applications. 
And they really fall into two categories. One's kind of the lending category and the other one's sort of trading firms or trading exchanges. Um, and, you know, we think that that will continue to be like one of the, the primary use cases. Um, and if there starts to be a segment that is, has, or is successful in attracting a lot of users, um, we'll probably gravitate towards something like that. So things that I can imagine in like the, the kind of the short term would be stuff like sports data. Um, we can get there probably easier by getting like fan tokens and um, some expression of, of kind of sports on chain um, initially. Um, things that are like kind of much more abstract, I think we'll probably take a little more of a wait and see model um, because we think that there's so much to gain within the financial markets and just having DeFi continue to grow. Absolutely. Well, I know we're kind of running close on the on the time there, and so I want to ask you one final question, and that's about Solana. You guys use Solana uh, as, as the blockchain, I'm guessing, because faster transaction speeds, cheaper prices. Uh, but you, I was as I was mentioning at the top of the show, Aptos. I, I know that you guys are partnered with them to provide price feeds. Uh, but Aptos has been dubbed the Solana killer, right? And and if it's the Solana killer, I mean, it would it would make sense that if there's a data oracle built on top of the Aptos blockchain, it could theoretically be faster than you know the than Pith because it's built on on Solana, and therefore you know with trading sometimes the you know your edge is milliseconds. I mean, what kind of plans do you have? I guess to kind of deal with that in the future, if other blockchains come into existence that are faster and that they could uh, maybe have faster transaction speeds than uh, than Solana. Yeah, Mark, it's a, it's a great point because um, we chose Solana because it was the fastest block time and the lowest cost um, of a major layer one. Um, we wanted to be cross-chain from the start. We have now actually moved off to an application-specific version of Solana. Um, it's called PithNet, and that feeds to wormhole and then basically anyone that is on a chain that's connected to wormhole is able to take a pith message and deploy it on those chains locally so we went live first with um, the bnb chain venus was our launch partner and there's a few others that have joined and then aptos is just launching we've got 10 launch partners on the aptos ecosystem um, we think that the speeds that solana is capable of will be similar um, to the speeds that Aptos will be capable of. Um, it comes down to sort of pushing up against the rules of physics. Um, so PithNet is a very lightweight version of Solana's technology. It doesn't compete with the things that have made Solana um, become congested. So like Solana's really been made to do um, do like DeFi at NASDAQ speeds, I guess, is, is the way that um, Anatoly has said it. Um, but then they all of a sudden became super popular and successful for NFT projects. And they hadn't anticipated that. And so like when they get clogged and sometimes the network um, is not running, it's usually because someone has done some giant NFT mint. So by being over on PithNet, we're now no longer exposed to that congestion. Um, so we think that we can probably be just as fast and we're convinced the uh, the users of, of Pith on other chains that that will be the case. And you know we, we think that there's room for both Solana and Aptos to, to kind of grow and thrive and to find their, their niches. Absolutely. So that's really interesting that your PithNet, so it's like a clone version of Solana is what you're saying, I guess. It's clone version, but it's not bogged down by the NFTs uh, that, that that bogged down the, the regular Solana blockchain? That's exactly right, yeah. Okay, cool. So the last thing I want to say uh, is, could you just let the viewers know where they can follow you, where they can follow PithNetwork if they want to learn more information? 
Yeah, the, um, the website is pith.network. Um, we are active on all the socials and in Discord. Um, we've got a team of community managers who'd be happy to answer any questions. So I'd encourage people to reach out on, on, on any of the socials and uh, yeah, give us a follow. Perfect. Well, I'm going to bring Elaine back in here to give us her key takeaways. Elaine, what's going on? What'd you learn today? <laughs> Marco, that was a lot there between you and Mike. But look, I think from what I've heard is that Web3 or blockchain industry is just basically smart contracts, right? There's no company behind it. It's executed by code. There's no third party to make a judgment call. Now, the data that comes in is then analyzed by oracles who then determine whether the smart contract should be executed. So for me, that was one of the things that I definitely had my little brain cells popping off asking all these different questions. Another thing that I picked up was basically in real time data matters for traders, a mass amount of it can be stored on the blockchain, but you just need to train the eye on how to read it. Finally, and whether you're looking either at financial market data or social market data, the thing is that high quality data matters. And it was fascinating to listen that this can actually be recognized live on the blockchain. So those are some of the things that stuck out to me most. How about you, Marco? I know you were live going through that. It was amazing to hear all your analogies. What did you learn most about it? I, I mean, I just thought the whole thing was interesting. I'm really, I think we got to have uh, Mike back on to, you know, really deep dive into this because I feel like there's so many more questions I would have asked if we had some more time. So that's my biggest takeaway. We got to have Mike back on. <laughs> Awesome. Mike, that was a little opportunity. Anything else that you want to add here? No, thanks so much. It was great to be on and I'd, I'd love to come back and we can dive a bit more into it. All right, then. I don't think we have any viewer questions today, so I'm going to wrap up the show and say thank you. Um, don't forget to subscribe. Real Vision Crypto is absolutely free. For those of you watching on YouTube, smash everything, the like button, the bell, subscribe. Tomorrow, we will hear from Benjamin Cohen with the latest technical analysis. See you tomorrow at 12 p.m. Eastern. You know where we are, live here on Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing.